Hey everyone, we're doing something a little bit different today. We're going to release the recording of our presentation we did for the Entrepreneur Club in Melbourne. Um, we pulled together a whole bunch of different ideas from some of the books we've done and put it into the context of entrepreneurship in one weave through story. It was um, it was great to speak at this uh, this monthly meetup, and we. Uh, pleasantly met a few people who have been listening to the show, which was great. And basically what we did was we tried to pull together some of the best ideas from the books that we've done and apply that to a bit of a journey through entrepreneurship. Firstly, through the eyes of the dip. Firstly, picking what to actually try as a project. Secondly, how to start to make your way through the dip. And then uh, thirdly, when you're in the dip and it feels like shit, how do you keep going? So we Mushed together the dip, the black swan, the war of art, so good they can't ignore you, the lean startup, a whole bunch of ideas and applied this to entrepreneurship. So I think when we were putting this presentation together, we thought this would be the most valuable presentation if we were presenting to where we were, say, three or four years ago. So I hope you all enjoy this episode, something different. Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. Well, actually, we've probably got no mic. Can everyone, everyone hear us okay? Yep. This, is a, this, is a, this is a great group. Thank you so much for coming along tonight. Thanks to Jenny and Kane for organizing this. Uh, it is a great, great environment, a great community once a month to get along and uh, you know, share some ideas with some fellow-minded individuals. And you know, when you're in this journey of business and entrepreneurship, it can be tough. Uh, it is nice to have you know, group to fall back on and for us we had a, a hell of a lot of questions when we were sort of both starting out on our journey and to answer those questions we turned to books um, so we both love reading books we've read a couple hundred books each uh, and we have uh, created a podcast called what you will learn where we read a book each week um, summarize the best bits and interview some great authors so for us we had a hell of a lot of questions, a hell of a lot of uh, uncertainty, and we turned to books to get answers, and that's what we want to share with you guys tonight. Now, for me, about five years ago, I was a very different person. I was a pack-a-day smoker, drank a lot of alcohol, took party drugs. Even though I was at university, I was a completely aimless direction in, in life. Luckily, one day, someone gave me this book, or told me about this book, Alan Carr, The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. Is anyone here a smoker? Damn it. No. <laughs> That's unbelievable, right? Jeez. So, if you, if you know a smoker out there, then this is the book for them. So, not only did I like, read this book and it cost me 25 bucks and eight hours in terms of investment, in terms of ROI, what I got back would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars over my lifetime, additional years lived in life expectancy from one bloody book. So since then, I was absolutely captivated by the ROI that you could find in books. Right, Someone's whole life's work and passion and energy put into one document you can access for 20 bucks and eight hours. Like Nothing in the world was like that. So me and Asher, we both met at a pub. Or we were working at a pub about eight years, six years ago now. And after that, we reconnected again because we both found out we both love books. We caught up a lot, spoke about books, and we thought if we just recorded it, the conversations, if it gets to one person, then the whole project of doing a podcast would be well and truly enough. So we started, you know, we, were, we didn't really have a whole 
a lot of idea about what we're doing in life. We both just sort of finished university and we're starting our first, I guess, real job in the real world. Uh, but we wanted to try different projects on the side. We didn't know what was going to work and the, the podcast started as just one of those projects. It was like a, a low risk. We thought we'll do 10 episodes. At the absolute worst case, we'll read 10 great books. We'll retain more. Uh, we'll improve our knowledge. We'll improve our speaking. Uh, and you know, maybe someone will listen. But that was like way at the end of a, a long list of potential benefits. And then you know, after the 10 episodes, we thought, yeah, this is, this is starting to go all right. And we sort of kept going in that line. And that's three years on now. We've been able to interview some of our absolute favorite authors like uh, Seth Godin and Robert Greene. Some phenomenal entrepreneurs like Janine Ellis and Naomi Simpson from Shark Tank have been on our show. Uh, we climbed as high as uh, number six on the uh, iTunes charts for the business category alongside some of our uh, absolute favorites. Uh, and also just uh, a week or two ago, we were nominated as a finalist uh, in the 2019 Australian Podcast Awards for the business and marketing category as well. So that's sort of where the, the podcast is, has taken us. started out as a you know, just a little test on the side, and then we decided to sort of commit and keep going and gradual, gradual, gradual build over time. So along the way, I don't think this click is really... <laughs> um, so... Okay. This, this dude on the, on the back here, can you just like hit next slide? <laughs> so anyway, along the way, uh, we, had, we were doing all kinds of projects. I don't know if anyone is in that situation <laughs> where you know, you're doing some projects, you might have had a few things that not work along the way, and this was the case for us, and what you'll learn might have been the fifth or sixth kind of project we did before we started getting some traction out of all the stuff we were doing on the side. Uh, so some of the questions we're going to cover tonight about the things we've learned along the way through our own journey and through all the books we've read, the questions like what project should I do next? It's a really big thing. What's the, the right type of uh, project you should be selecting to put in your uh, energy and effort into? Also, when should you quit a project? It's like a real fine line when you should actually persevere and just have the mindset and attitude to keep going for it or understanding it's actually time to quit because there's no point doing this thing. And also, how do you persevere? Uh, you know, if you want to make some good work in the world, you're probably going to be struggling pretty hard at some stage. So in those moments, you need to really have the mindset to push through. So one big concept we're going to use to uh, talk throughout this... Uh, this I love the magic clicker up the back. Uh, one, one big important concept uh, is the idea of the dip by Seth Godin. Uh, it's, like a, it's like an 80-page book. Uh, but it's like 78 pages of absolute gold in there. Some books we've read are like 300 pages for like 30 pages of gold, but this is like a, a real power packet to really sort of change the way you look at things. And it says that any project, I'll come over this side for a sec, any project you do follows this sort of curve. Anything that's worth doing has a dip. So at the start of any new project, it's enjoyable, it's fun, there's quick wins, and you get a few results early on. So say the example might be, uh, if you start writing a book and you think, I'm going to write a book, you tell like three mates and they're like, good stuff, congrats. That's like a nice win for you. You write your first page, that's another win. But then very quickly, increased effort doesn't lead to increased results. This is the dip here where from page one through to page 250, you're not getting any extra benefit, uh, you know, external validation of your results. But if you keep going and you can push through the dip at the very end of the project there is these exponential rewards. 
and that's where the, uh, the, all the effort you've put in at the very end starts to pay off. And say so the book example, that's when you finished your book, you get it published, you get it printed, you can hold the book in your hand and you become a published author, which is a very rare thing to do. So you've achieved your, your dip and you get the exponential rewards that come with being a published author. And you might think when you're in this moment here, when it's going so tough that, you know, some of you might be in this moment right now, you might think it's such the worst thing in the world, but it's actually the best thing because it's this moment where everyone else quits in these moments, say writing a book, no one actually gets to the end, that makes getting to this part scarce in the first place. And it's the scarcity up here that actually creates the value in what what you're looking to do and creating valuable work in the world. So give a click. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so there's, there's some three important phases, I guess, of the dip that we're going to cover tonight. The first is finding a dip. Like right now, uh, you've almost got like infinite choices of dips that you could potentially choose. Uh, any new project you do is going to go through a dip. And before you start a new project, you've got infinite choices. So we want to work out, okay, first we want to find the right dip to start. The next thing we want to do is once you pick your dip, pursue it. And because it's no point quitting here, you want to make sure that you get all the way through to the other side. And then the third part we're going to talk about is when you're at this point here, you can't see the end. It really sucks being in the, in the bottom of this dip as you keep pushing, you keep banging your head against the wall, and it feels like nothing's happening. You're making no progress, and it can suck. So we want to talk about how do you keep motivated and keep going when you're in the dip. So the first part of the talk we're going to... <laughs> is uh, finding the dip. You can go one more. It's yeah, a little bit awkward. So the first part is like finding your dip, so the dip that's right for you. And the first concept that's really important here, because remember, you've got infinite dips. It's understanding that the world is really unpredictable and uncertain. This was really popularised by the book The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb. And in this analogy, he talks about before the discovery of Australia there was a belief that all swans were white. So all sightings of all of history of swans said they were only white. Uh, There was no evidence of anything else. And then one day someone discovered Australia and saw the first black swan. And it was the sighting of the first black swan that really ripped apart all the previously held beliefs about what swans were meant to be. So it's the, the, the highly impactful but highly improbable events, the things that you can't conceive of right now, but if you're stepping into uncertainty a highly impactful event might occur. So it can happen at like the cultural level, but also in the individual level in your business and things like this. So at the cultural level, if, if you were asked to someone, if you were to ask someone 30 years ago, what are the three technologies that are going to shape the future the most? There is no way they could have come up with the internet, the laser, the iPhone, things like this, because back then they had no conception of what these things were. These things at that time were highly improbable and highly impactful events. Like us today, if we're sitting here and you ask yourself, what are the three big technologies 30 years from now? Who knows? All we can tell is it's going to be highly improbable and highly impactful. So we're going to link that also to the, what happens at the individual level as well. So in, the, in your own life, there could be some things that come into your life that change everything that are highly impactful. So that's the thing we want to be stepping into Um, in terms of unpredictability. Let's go to the next one, please. So I've got a story. You can have positive black swans that come in your life and you can have negative ones. So for Mary the hen here, 
Every day she's been fed by Susie her whole entire life. Susie's the bringer of life, the giver of sustenance, the giver of love. And this is all the information Mary's got her whole life about Susie until one piece of new information comes in about who Susie is and everything changes, right? To the shopping block, Susie isn't so nice after all. So that <laughs> it's horrible. It's a negative black swan. It can go, go the other way. So for Barack Obama, before 2004, he was an extremely hard-working politician but never really got any traction uh, from his work. One day in 2004, he had one video that someone posted online and then everyone was like, who the hell is this guy? He, he nailed it. And then after that, his whole career changed because that one moment uh, from there, he skyrocketed toward presidency. And that was a positive black swan in the case of uh, Barack Obama. Yeah, so you might be thinking like, for you, you know, we're saying the world is uncertain, the world is unpredictable, there are these black swan events that you can't predict but something randomly might take off one day, uh, either positive or negative. And so whilst you can't bet on one specific thing saying this is going to be the black swan, this is going to be the, the iPhone of the future, what you want to do is expose yourself to a wide range of possible black swans. So you want to open yourself up to the potential of something coming along that's a black swan that's going to take you. So say if you're, uh, if you're writing a blog uh, or making a podcast, if someone with a massive audience like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan one day finds one of your blog posts and shares it, that's going to be a massive positive black swan for you. But what you can't do is you can't think, I want to start a blog because one day I want Tim Ferriss to find it and share it. It doesn't work that way. You have to do the work first and expose yourself to the potential of some kind of random positive black swan. So it's all about putting in the work at the start. And because the world's unpredictable doesn't mean we can't benefit from the uncertainty and unpredictability in the world. Uh, so what we're looking to do through the rest of the talk is really capitalise on positive serendipity as much as we can. And things that link to this are hard work in things like chasing opportunities, not in terms of grunt work. So that might mean you're better off going to an event like this, having a few extra cocktails tonight, staying for the band, as opposed to working till 10pm in your office in your day job. Because there might be that one conversation here that could be that positive black swan in your life that changes everything for you. And the one thing that all positive, successful black swans have in the world in every single circumstance is you need to actually step up to the plate and actually start striking out and start swinging. Sooner or later, as you start striking out and start swinging, you're going to get that little bit closer to the ball and be a high probability of hitting that home run. So we know that we want to be taking a swing. We don't want to be sitting in the stadium watching on while everybody else is, uh, is actually playing the game. You need to be taking a swing. You know, at first you're going to strike out. Maybe the more you improve, you might get to first base and eventually get, hit that home run. And so what makes a good swing? One important thing is that uh, it's what we'll call a minimum bet. So you know, if you're sitting at the poker table, you can't go all in on the first hand because if it doesn't work, it might be bust. As we said, you can't predict which black swan is going to work. But you want to place a whole range of small bets as little tests before you go all in on that hand. Now, this was popularised by the Lean Startup, which I'm sure a lot of you have read. And it's the idea that you want to be placing the minimal possible investment to test if a bet or a piece of uncertainty is actually going to work. 
And if it works out, fantastic. If it doesn't work out, fantastic. At least you invested the tiniest amount to test if these things can actually uh, work out for you. So it's what they call in this book the, the minimal viable product. Now, the second important thing after for, in terms of project selection is the whole idea of limiting the downside potential of whatever project you choose as the upside, if, you, if the downside is limited, the upside a lot of the time can just take care of itself. So as we sort of said, like with a podcast, there was a, a project where the downside was an absolute worst case scenario. If nobody ever listens to it, at an absolute worst case, we've read 10 great books, we've retained like five times as much as we would from just reading the book without doing the podcast. We've had to take like notes in order to set up the podcast. We've learned a brand new skill of how to actually make a podcast and put it out into the world. We've probably improved our communication. We've improved our listening. And this is all worst case. So that's like the downside was completely limited that if nothing else happened, at the very worst case, it was still a win. So you need to be thinking about when you're going to start a project, what's the worst thing that could happen? If the worst thing that ha happens is you go bankrupt and you're back on your mum's couch eating two-minute noodles, that's not a good bet to place whatsoever. Mm. So you want to be thinking, okay, if the absolute worst case happens, is it still a win? Now, the third important concept, and this, the section we call this was uh, find your dip that's right for you. Uh, we've had the, uh, the idea of a podcast as a project or as a book. Both of them have big dips that you actually need to get through in the end to get that scarcity but some of you aren't podcasters and some of you aren't authors so a bit of uh, self-awareness about who you are what's going to make you click and give you that extra bit of fuel to push through is going to be the most important thing so there's a famous quote by Einstein everyone's a genius but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid so you want to be choosing the, the thing that's right up your alley so you can uh, push right through so that's what we want to do. As we said, at the, at the very start, at this point in time now, you've got so many potential options for what project you could take on, what dip you could pursue. And the thing is, you want to test out a whole bunch of ideas to see, is there any potential here? Is it something that is going to work? So the things that we're going to be doing at first, we're going to be placing minimum bets where we're not going all in on the first hand. We're going to limit the downside. So even if it doesn't work, we still win. We still get some kind of benefit out of it. And we want to play to our strengths, something that we're good at, something that we enjoy. And so what we want to do next, so we've got this wide range of potential dips, we're testing each one out. If something starts to work and you start to think, I think this is my dip, we need to focus on pursuing the dip and make sure that you get all the way through it. So with the dip, the best time to quit is before you even start. That's why we're testing it. If you quit in the middle here of the dip, this is like all wasted time and, and, and energy and effort. Quitting in the middle of the dip is the worst time to quit because it's just all a waste. You want to either quit at the start or once you decide, you want to go all the way through to the other side. Now, so the part hopefully we've gotten you to here. So for us, for example, as I said, we had maybe five, six other side projects, all failures, didn't work at all. But eventually for us, the evidence that we thought, all right, this might be the, our dip, we want to go to the next stage was, you know, we're getting some growth early and some exponential kind of numbers so we thought shit we're taking this to the next level so uh, you once you've had enough swings and you found your thing alright this is getting traction this has got potential yeah the next part is is uh, pursuing your dip so 
being in the inside the actual dip. And one of the biggest risks by far at this stage is like, once you get through the dip and you have those early wins, it's going to start getting that little bit trickier. And you might start thinking, I'm not really passionate about this. So you quit and you move to the next shiny object and so forth. I mean, this is something a lot of people do, and it's called the passion mindset. It's a photo from Tony Robbins. You know, passion can be really dangerous if people go to something like that. I'm not passionate, and they just quit everything, right? So there's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, and he talks about why passion is dangerous based on three different premises. So firstly, passion is dangerous because passion is rare. In the sense that, okay, if you, there was a study where they interviewed Canadian university students and they said, okay, what are you passionate about? You know, the top five things were things like singing, basketball, ice hockey, and things like this where, okay, maybe you're passionate about it now, but there's no real link to anything that, unless you're going to become an, a professional superstar, there's no link to anything that's really tangible in the world that will give you some kind of you know, direction in life. So yeah, passion didn't line up with a lot of uh, income-producing things, unfortunately. There were things like reading, ice hockey, basketball, things like this. The second reason why passion is dangerous is that passion takes time. So there was another study that they did on the fulfilment from work that nurses were getting. And, they, and what they found was the nurses who were getting the most out of their work and the most satisfaction weren't the ones who, out of college, went straight into and thought, I'm extremely passionate, full of energy. No, they're actually the, the people who spent the longest inside the job. So the ones who were there long enough to build rare and val- valuable skills were the ones who actually got the most out of their career. And the third premise that why passion is not necessarily the thing that you want to be following is that passion is a side effect of mastery. So I'm sure you guys will have felt that once you start to get good at something, you enjoy it a lot more. At the very start, if you're no good at it, you're probably not so passionate about it. So when you actually put in the effort to develop your skills, to get a bit better, to approach mastery, you start to enjoy it. So if you think at the very start, I'm not passionate about this, uh, then it's something you might not want to do. But you know, as the more you do it, the more you do it, the more you enjoy it, the more passionate about it you become. So rather than trying to chase this nebulous of idea of I want to just do something that I'm passionate about instead think about what can I get really good at what's a dip that I can pick and see all the way through to the other end and passion will almost come along as a side effect so on one side of the equation that was the idea of the passion mindset so the passion mindset is all about what can the world offer you so she's focusing what's everyone else out there going to give me the craftsman mindset is the focus on what you can offer the world so it's a little bit uh, more selfless kind of approach. I mean, this is Jiro Dreams of Sushi, just a, a basic job, right? For a lot of people think it would be basic, but it, through a craftsman mindset, you know, he's uh, become a craftsman and he's built some rare and valuable skills. And it's the rare and valuable skills that are going to give you some kind of scarcity in the world. And with that scarcity, you can actually trade it in for the things that actually make you passionate in the first place. So the things that make you passionate in the first place are things like autonomy, the idea that you can wake up and you can control what you're going to do with your time completely. You can only do that if you've got rare skills or a rare product. Uh, also purpose. So the idea that you can actually improve the world. And again, you've got a better leverage over what you're going to do if you've got rare and valuable skills. And the idea of flow. So the more you push yourself to the cognitive limit and you're constantly put into those flow states, that's uh, really enjoyable as well, pumping endorphins in the brain. 
So that's where we're at so far. We've, uh, you know, we've thought, okay, there's a whole bunch of dips. Which dip am I going to try and do? The next stage we thought, okay, we're not just going to you know, be passionate and get to the point where we're enjoying it. As it starts to get a little bit more painful, we're going to think, no, I'm not passionate about this. I'm going to jump to the next dip. So instead, we realize we, we need to commit to go all the way through to the other dip, uh, to the end of the dip. But of course, that said, when you're in this part of the dip, where you're just banging your head against a brick wall and nothing seems to be going right, nothing seems to be working, don't seem to be making any progress, it really sucks. Uh, and there's no denying that. Um, some of the you know, most famous people in the world who have created these masterpieces have had the, the pain of going through the dip. Like George Orwell says, writing a book is a horrible, exhausting struggle, like being driven on by some demon. So when he's in the middle of the dip, he's not thinking I'm super passionate about writing books, but he realizes he needs to keep going to get through the dip. Uh, George Lucas was pulling out his hair. So if you think earlier how he said the dip is what create what everyone drops off, and that creates scarcity, and it's the scarcity that creates value. So these are the dips these kind of people were going through and the pain they were going through in the moment. So if you think of it this way, this is what really what you should be feeling in a way if, it, if you really want to make great work in the world like these guys. And Elon Musk says entrepreneurship is like eating glass and staring into the abyss of death. It's pretty intense. So... <laughs> what's that? Yeah, you would know. That's... That's right. That's what it takes to build things like these people build. So it's just an idea when you're in the dip, understand this is actually just part of the process of making great work. And one more book concept we want to bring in is a, is a phenomenal, again, a small book called The War of Art. And The War of Art says that, you know, we've all, got, we've all got two lives. We've got the life that we've currently got and we've got our unlived life, which is the things that we dream for, the things we wish we could do, the things we hope to do. And the only thing that's standing in the way between where we are now and where we wish we could be is what uh, Stephen Pressfield calls the resistance. And that's the resistance with a capital R. The resistance is the thing that when you're in the absolute trough of the dip, uh, it says, it's okay, you don't have to keep going. You can quit now, it's all right. And obviously that's not what we want to do, but that's what this voice in the back of our head, the resistance, is telling us to do. Now the resistance... It's internal, it's something within us, even if we might think, oh, my, my partner's annoying me right now, I need to, I need, we need to go and have a fight. That's like the resistance saying, here's a way that you can stop doing the hard work of what you're doing right now. Or procrastination, I'll do it tomorrow, I can get to that later. That's again the resistance coming out and trying to trick you into stopping. And so uh, a, a sick quote from the book is that he says that, you know, what real writers know that amateur writers don't know it's not the actual writing that's hard. The hardest part is actually just sitting down to write. Sitting down in the chair, staying there all day and writing. It's tough because there are, as soon as you sit down, you might think, oh, I've got to do the washing. It's very easy to get up and do the washing then. So this is all the, the resistance coming into the play, trying to trick us into quitting when we're in the middle of the dip doing something that's tough. It's the, the difference between who you are now and the unlived life of whatever your potential might be Whenever you have that, that's when the resistance really enters in, in in a whole range of different forms. Luckily, there is a solution, what he calls turning pro. And say if you've got a day job right now and you really want to pursue some kind of side project that you have to do on the weekends or writing a book or something like that, a lot of people who are writing books, they'll think, oh, I'm just going to do it uh, in these specific times every now and then I'm just going to get to it. 
What he says Turning Pro is all about is treating things like this like you would your day job. So that means you gotta tell yourself every time I'm gonna, at 9 a.m., I'm gonna sit down and write two hours every day on my book. And it's not sexy, nothing, nothing sexy about it. You gotta turn up every single time and do it. So it is tough, admittedly, uh, that you know, it, when, we're, when we're in the dip, it feels like you know, we're not getting anywhere, but it is vital that we do turn pro. We do bring sort of the attitude of sitting down and doing the work that we know we have to do. The work probably itself is objectively not that tough, but it's just the idea of actually just sitting down and doing the work that you can always find an infinite number of excuses not to do. And so that's sort of where we find ourselves that you know, we, once we test a whole bunch of different projects to find the right dip, we think, this is the one, I'm going to have a crack. Make sure you see yourself all the way through to the other end. It is tough, but it is important not to quit here. You either quit here or you decide that you're going all the way through to the other side. And this is where the benefits of scarcity is. So this is what we're all after, uh, to live a better life and, and hit it, take to that next level. Once you get to this level, then there's another dip waiting for you straight after that. Yeah, how do we get subscribers? Uh, so, as we, we started at the very start with probably uh, three subscribers, Adam Jones, Adam Ashton, and probably my mum as well was the third one. And uh, it was literally just, you know, we weren't that good at the start, but we just sort of kept going and kept going and kept going. As you said, we've been chipping away for, for, you know, three years now, and it was probably 10 after the first month, and then 100 after six months, and then, you know, 1,000 after another 12 months, and, and just sort of kept grinding and kept building. Uh, yeah. stats aren't probably the, the number one thing we're going for because we've got so many benefits out of podcasting and learning that you know, people listening is sort of a, a bonus. Yeah, when we listen back to our first steps, it's the most embarrassing thing in the world. They're still <laughs> there if you want to see how uh, horrible we were at the start and just to put it out in the first place. And over time, it, yeah, it got better. So yeah, I recommend listen. I oh, actually don't listen to the first one. <laughs> don't go too far back. Yeah, how does the revenue model look for any monetized podcast? So at, at the moment, we're in growth mode. So we're building the email database through the top 50 document. So the emails are just ticking away. Over time, we're doing other projects that we can actually sell. So eventually, we can push that on the podcast, which we haven't fully done yet. We're just building in that way. And then another option down the track, which we prefer not to, is to sell ads. So, as a worst case, if all the other stuff... It's ad-free ad now, yeah. Yeah, as a, as, for us, it's all, still in that you know, hobby mode. We're doing it, you know, we're both working full-time and doing this as our, as our side project still. In general, about podcasting, uh, you know, it's almost like you know, radio or TV. They've got an audience. People want to advertise that audience is one way. Or doing your own projects, um, whether you've got online courses or books or, or partnering with um, other businesses... Uh, there's a whole range of things you can you can do if you you know cultivate an audience. Are there any tactics or ways to find your dips? Find your dip. Yeah, the the, the main thing I think is just uh, to test something as as small as possible. Uh, so say uh, as as an example, you might think uh, I want to you know I'm passionate about yoga. I want to quit my job and open a yoga studio. I'll take a big loan from the bank. Uh, I'm gonna you know hire take a lease, hire this place buy all the equipment, hire 10 people to teach yoga, uh, pay a marketing agency to make ads for me, uh, and then hopefully someone shows up. That's like a, the opposite of what we're trying to suggest. 
Uh, instead, we want to test something as small as possible. Maybe it's going to your yoga studio that you go to and saying, hey, can I, uh, you know, 10 a.m. on a Saturday, can I have my own class for one hour? I'll try and bring my own people. So you're testing the idea that, okay, people want to come and learn yoga for you. Rather than going all in on the first big bet, you want to do a small bet to test it out. So in a roundabout way of answering that question, I think it's just important before you sort of commit to one dip is to test, test the idea out first and to try a whole range of different things and get a bit of a taste which of these projects has got the most potential to take off. I'm surprised you like, stuck around from that long ago because yeah, it's pretty I bad am. back then. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. That's almost two years ago. Yeah. Thank you. Like there's so many books and so there's so so much advice out there, and like people that just want to do it tonight. Um, I don't know how many contacts I've listened to over the last year or so. Procrastination. We've talked a lot about it, but when you're in that moment, how do you how do you the information so rich when everything's so interesting and when there are so many things out there? Yeah. Say usually books, a good book, a lot of the time if it's got one insight and one takeaway, then it's well and truly worth it. So over a year, if you get 50 of them, and then the more insights you get in, there's going to be a higher probability that you can have huge insights into your life. So some of them might filter down, but you know, for us, we came across our favourite book. And our favourite book is probably book number 150 for both of us, which was uh, The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene, for anyone who's out there looking for an incredible book. So I guess in your question you might think, you know, the, the big learnings and the big lessons are at the start, but then you just get flooded with all this other stuff. But in terms of retention as well, we, we, we get the extra layers through actually just reading it, but actually speaking about it, then recording and doing the notes as well. So... Over time, it, uh, it layers in. Yeah. And as you said, there's like so much uh, out there that you could possibly know. You're never going to be able to read all the books that are out there. You're never going to be able to take all the online courses that are out there or watch all the videos. And it feels like you, you just want to learn the next thing, learn the next thing. I think it is important if you, you know, read a book or take a course or watch a video or listen to a podcast to try and take that idea and put something into practice. Just test it out. Um, and you know, maybe it's once a week you try one new idea one new little test to see uh, if it's worth worth doing or if it's just uh, meaningless. Because uh, we've read a lot of books, there's a lot of gold, but there's also a lot of crap out there as well. So I think it is important just to not believe everything you read in the book and test it out for yourself. See if there's some way you can incorporate something into your own life. And I'd, I'd say the best part a lot of the time is a lot of things contradict themselves. Like very early when we're reading, a lot of things about the passion mindset and you, the whole world's out there to give you something and you just got to have the courage to quit your job and then just get after it and then you read so good they can't ignore you and it just rips that whole thing apart which makes a lot of sense uh, another thing that was a huge dichotomy for me was reading How to Win Friends and Influence People I know if a lot of people have read that one it says all you're going to do is listen make the other person let them feel important don't really speak much about yourself and after about a year of doing that 
I really realised was coming at the cost of assertiveness. So I read another book saying, uh, if you do that, you're not really push- pushing yourself into the world at all. So again, another two things that really go against what each other says. So really, the more books you bring in, I think you get a better picture and more balance of uh, what the best way to, to live is, I think. Yeah, how do you select your book? Because that many books out there, do you only do the big names and stuff, or do you go for the little guys and yeah so the, yeah yeah exactly so we um, I've got like two uh, two bookshelves at home I've got six shelves on each so we've got 12 shelves in total and I've read like um, four shelves I've read uh, and the rest is full so I've got eight shelves of, of unread books that you know I've heard on a podcast or I've uh, you know seen on, on a YouTube video someone said read this book and I've just gone and bought it and put it on the shelf and said I'll get to it eventually so I've sort of got like uh, there's obviously the, the whole pool of books in the world and then I've also got a, a big pool of books sitting on the shelf ready to go. Uh, we try to uh, read, obviously, things we're interested in learning. Uh, that you know, We could just do a book because it's popular and, and uh, you know, I think we're just going to do it anyway, but it almost then becomes a bit uh, laborious. We want to read things and learn things that we're interested in. Uh, we do like, because we've got you know, listeners now, try to give a few different perspectives, try to think what's the audience want to hear as well um, but also what do they need to hear what's something different we should share with them as well yeah and one out of every six I'd say one out of every six or seven doesn't get on the feed now so we'll read the whole book and be like oh it's painful because we <laughs> read a whole bloody book but... do you take suggestions yeah always yeah. open We're, as, as I said I've got a, a seemingly infinite list of potential books and always keen to keen to hear what, what, what we should read a book takes a long time to read for somebody yeah and um when you're starting a business, you want to get on that. Now, sometimes there are many ways of doing that, but certainly uh, employing a coach or specifically uh, having a coach, when you're asking specific questions, uh, that allows you to actually apply what you hear based on the question you ask right there and then. Mm-hmm. Reading a book, like you're just hoping, you know, you look at the back and you're looking at the summary, you hope for the best when you read it, you actually just read that two or three pages that actually like something that's very important. What are you advising, kind of like, you know, the, the value in reading books as opposed to just kind of like, you know what, I have a question in my mind, I just got to go and ask someone. Yeah, so more like selective, this is my problem, what book can yeah, fix it rather than... I'd say reading is a habit in terms of time investment similar to and less than what TV is for a lot of people. So I like to see it that way. So you could apply both. If you've got a specific problem, that's maybe your next book that you go after. But at the same time, I think the habit of actually just reading good books, you can actually invite new things out of your, uh, not saying you're in echo chambers, but a lot of us do end up in echo chambers sometimes. So if you just read a book a bit out of the blue, it has a different kind of value as well. I mean, re- uh, watching TV for some people is like, I don't know, 14 hours a week. I don't know where I got the stat from, but it's, I've heard it somewhere. Uh, so if you just do a slice out of that, like eight or nine hours a week, and then you're reading a full book a week, and you're getting a lot more out of out of what you would at TV. Mm. Yeah, I think is if you've got a very, very, very specific problem, and you know somebody who can definitely specifically answer that problem, then save yourself the uh, hunting through 30 books to try and find it for sure. Uh, but for me, it's sort of like if there's no specific problem, I just want to increase uh, my understanding or open myself up to new ideas. You know. 15 minutes on the train in the morning or on the way home or 20 minutes while having a coffee. Like It's not like a, a chore where we're saying we have to read for an hour and a half each night. We're just finding time to inject time to read and 
read more books and maybe something might randomly spike in the moment, think, oh, this is exactly what I need right now. Or maybe it's two years later that we think, oh, I've got this problem now. I remember reading two years ago this great book. I should check it out again. So I think it's, uh, for, for me anyway, it's like reading is like uh, increasing the general knowledge. If you want a specific thing, then maybe there's, maybe there's a quicker way to find the answer for sure. And we had, we had a question here. Yes, thank you for coming back to me, Mark. It's getting very tired. Uh. <laughs> my question is, I mean, you mentioned about um, the dip and uh, fashion will dig you out of that. Um, my question's around rock bottom. I'm sure everyone's felt that when they're just like, geez, I've got like nothing. I'm flat. What's the methods that you guys like recommend to chisel yourself off the floor and get up and inspire the shoot back up to the stars again? That's a good question. Yeah. I think it's got to be um, first and foremost sort of you know small steps small improvements you can't just think um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna instantly snap myself out of this because maybe that's not possible but maybe it is uh, something small uh, and incremental Uh, I I can't think of a specific uh, example but I do think that rather than it, it can be tough to I guess get trapped in the idea that nothing seems to be working nothing seems to be going right Try to release the pressure on the next thing you do has to be the answer and think, okay, what's the next thing I can try out that might work, that might give the next step in the right direction? Definitely for me, I wouldn't say rock rock bottom, that'd be a, but there was some moments where uh, I was just a weirdo to all my mates, my family, like because they saw me as this party animal, and they almost preferred me when I was taking drugs and <laughs> God knows what. But when I, <laughs> but when I made those those changes, it was, yeah, there was a real, and I wasn't getting results with anything I was doing, and it was just failure in projects. That was for me. That was probably the closest to, to rock bottom. Um, I think, like. I think it's really encouraging looking at quotes from people like Elon Musk saying things like that and reframing it like rock bottom you might not get to past the dip but it's almost necessary in to get scarcity you know what I mean so it is part of the process even though it might not work out still so fingers crossed (laughs) sort of question yeah yeah Yeah, I know when you're in the dip, if you're at the bottom of the dip, it's nice to see on the graph that, hey, if I just go from here to here, straight up. But uh, when you're in the dip, you definitely can't see that um, from where you are. And you know, each different project you do has got a different uh, degree of difficulty of dip and also a different duration of dip. So some things uh, might be uh, a quick, you know, quick to go from beginning to the point of mastery, but the, uh, the level of mastery or the level of scarcity you get from that is not so, uh, not so great. Whereas some, a dip that takes a lot, 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 lot longer is going to be a lot, lot more scarce and, and hence a lot more valuable. So it's sort of like picking uh, which dip are you wanting to commit to and you've got to realize that some dips, if it's a massive reward at the other end, it is a massive slog from where you are now to get into that point. 
think, I think, yeah. I think uh, on, on top of being aware, it's that idea of like once you can, whatever your work is, even though it's a struggle, if it's turned more into a habit and you just do it anyway, like for when we made it, for us now, if we're, a lot of our weekends do go to stuff like this now and it's just the way it is. There's no, there's no resistance. It's like when you're free, mm. Sunday, all day, Saturday night, when like it's just it's like a professional thing now. Whereas at the start, it might have been a bit more of a, a push. But you know, eventually, when you turn pro, so to speak, uh, Pressfield's way, it's a it's a great help. Yeah, I do think it's also a lot of the uh, the, the pressure element that you're putting on it to be the thing. Uh, so say like for us, uh, if we had of you know. After, after 10 episodes, thought, yeah, this is the winner. We're going to quit our jobs, podcasting full-time, try and make a full-time income off podcasting and hope that millions of people listen. Uh, we probably very quickly would have realized that that's uh, not going to happen. And so instead, we took the approach that, okay, this doesn't have to be the thing, and it's something that we do uh, want to keep doing. We're getting the, the benefits of anyway. If we're stuck in the bottom of the dip for a long time, um, then we're willing to keep doing that work without the pressure of having it be the, the be-all and end-all. So we had a question over there. Two more. Uh, oh, at the bottom. Okay. Sorry, oh, say that again. I'll do, I'll sorry. Yeah, so... The only real way to overcome the resistance is to turn pro. So what Stephen Pressfield says that every, it's universal. Everybody has the resistance. Everybody faces the resistance. Uh, but the, I guess one good thing about the resistance, because it's like, the, it's like a bully in the playground. The bully in the playground, it goes after the weakling. It knows if it can beat the, the small little wimpy kid, then that's who it's going to target. Whereas if you can show the resistance that, hey, I'm not going to take it, I'm not going to be such an easy beat, I'm not just going to get up and go clean the dishes that I saw out of the corner of my eye, this is a time I'm going to sit down and turn pro and do the work. Each time you beat the resistance, you know, one day at a time, the resistance starts to maybe go find a different target to pick on. And the resistance comes in any, uh, many ways. Like you, you might find, I forget exactly what it was after we read the book, but I... Anyway, you, the brain really rationalised some bullshit reason why I shouldn't be doing this. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the brain, the brain can come up with some weird excuses why uh, you don't have to, to face the, the resistance as well. So it's, I really recommend that book. It really personifies it like a, like a person, and like a, an enemy. Mm, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I saw one. Uh, I saw one over here. Someone. Oh yeah. Yeah, the right time to quit. Um, and so it's a good question. It's a, uh, something that is part of the book, the dip as well. So we talked about the dip uh, curve, and he says that the the best time to quit is most certainly not in the dip, because once you're in the dip, you've already invested the time and energy and effort to get to the point where you've you know, you've got to the point where you're some of the way part through the journey, you know, 10%, 20% through the journey. The best time to quit is to look ahead and think, okay, if I'm going uh, to write a book, it's going to take me 300 hours to write this book, and the best time to quit is before you even start. So realize that, okay, this dip is ahead of me. I know that it's going to be tough to get through to the other side, 
You need to make the decision. It's better to quit at the start than to waste 100 hours of your time and money and energy and then quit halfway through. So does that, does that answer the question? Yeah, oh, we've, got, we've got a lot of questions. We'll speak. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll hang around. Using, using money as a yardstick, right? To your knowledge, which podcast had yielded the founders the largest amount of money? So for the biggest amount. Well, I know Joe, Joe Rogan's got hundreds of millions of downloads um, every every year, and uh, I heard a random stat the other day that Joe Rogan makes seventy million a year from advertising. I'd say so it's lowballing. I'd say it'd be yeah. higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. So are you going to yeah, make Not yet. <laughs> not yet. So between that gentleman there and you guys, uh, I mean, is that your deep, like, you know, if that's your ultimate destination? My, I wouldn't say, yeah. In terms of money as a yardstick, I'd say that's not our yardstick necessarily. It's like a secondary thing. I think bigger for us is that, you know, if we get an email from someone saying mm. it had a big influence on them, that's like... You know, even though we're not getting paid for it, that's bigger than a day's work in my normal job. Like, so I think it's money can be maybe a secondary yardstick in a way. I think we're on the on the road there. But yeah, yeah. Thank you everyone for coming along and uh, and listening to us talk. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.